Would you open God's precious holy word to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to finish, God willing, chapter 4 today, verses 25 through 32. <clears throat> I told you last time <clears throat> with the beginning of that sermon, that message, that that was the beginning of the practical points of Christian living, which would carry on through to the end of the book, the letter. So today we'll look at eight more thoughts of practical Christianity. It'll all build on the last thing that we have studied and then we'll move into the next part as we move through uh, the rest of Ephesians. So again, to remind you, chapters one, two, and three taught us of our position in Christ. It's positional. God put us there. He placed us there in Christ before the foundation of the world. Chapters four, five, and six then are how we are to live it out, the practical side. The positional side, chapters one, two, three. The practical side of being in Christ, chapters four, five, and six. So let's just get right into it here. Eight thoughts of practical Christianity. Thought number one, therefore having put off falsehood, you probably could combine the next thought with that one, but I wanted to separate it because the word falsehood, pseudos, it speaks of that which professes to be one thing and it's not. Deceit. Uh, shadiness, cheating. It isn't, it isn't just, it isn't just telling lies. It's, it's, it's more expanded than that. Falsehood, deceit. Remember last time the spirit through Paul taught us that we're to take off the old garment, the old man, put off the old man and put on the new garment, the new man. So we're still taking off rotten clothing here that doesn't belong. Put off the falsehood, that which is deceitful, that which shades what really is, that which professes to be something when it's really something else. Put off falsehood and let each one speak the truth with his neighbor because we are members of one another. He continues in the theme of unity in the church. One of the most hurtful things in church is for church members to be deceitful with one another in some shape or form or fashion and refuse to speak the truth with his neighbor. That's, that's not unifying at all. If you refuse to speak the truth and you don't put off the falsehood, it is, it is unifying, however, if we, can, if we can be transparent with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the world system is built on lying. Could you imagine if the nations of the world sat down at a table, the leaders of the nations of the world sat down at a table and told each other the truth, what they really thought. 
the world wouldn't last a day. That's because the world system, for whatever reason, is just built on falsehood, deceit. You know, we, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very uh, with regard to leaders, it's a very self-centered thing. And, and the demon of political leadership is a very nasty and strong demon. You, you probably wouldn't believe that these days, but it's true. And so-called leaders become, they become enamored with themselves and they, you know, they can't pass a mirror without kissing themselves. So they're, they're in, a, in the process of doing whatever they have to do to get as much power as they can, even if it means, of course, telling a lie or lies, lying. The sad thing about the world system is that people today will look right into the camera and tell a lie, knowing that everybody that's watching knows they're telling a lie, you know? It's reprobation. The world system needs to be put off from the church. May I say again, and you'll hear me say this probably until I die or until the Lord comes, but I believe firmly that we're entering into the last days and the church is going to need each other more than we've ever needed each other before probably because already we're seeing how the world is turning against us. They're turning off our message. They won't let us, they won't let us speak our worldview. So the platforms that are available for the world are not available. They're decreasingly available for the church such that the time then, and I could, I could quote, news articles if I had written them down, but there are, it, the, the time already is here where you, you can't hold a certain kind of position if the world thinks that you're too radical with regard to your faith. And the world has to be the one to define what is radical and what is too far. So I say again, we need unity and we need each other more and more and more as time goes by. We are a part of a kingdom that at last will be established in this world in righteousness. And the king of kings will rule from the throne of the, the son of David will rule from the throne of David and his people, his elect will have positions of authority and that kingdom on earth will last for a thousand years and then the old order will pass away and Christ himself will deliver the kingdom up to the Father and it's an eternal kingdom. We have a king who is a king of righteousness. Paul says to the Philippians that we are citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world. So this is where we should appreciate our position in Christ and know that while the rest of the world destroys each other, in unity, the church is to stand together. We are to be filled with love for one another, to be responsible to one another, to strengthen and edify one another, to be there for one another, to teach each other and to learn from each other as we 
clarify to the world that we are disciples of Christ. We are learners. So the next point here that is made in Ephesians with regard to practical Christianity is that we take off the garment, we put off falsehood and speak the truth, each one with his neighbor because we are members of one another. Now that doesn't mean that we can't poke fun at each other from time to time. There was a particular Sunday that was on April Fool's Day. I was, I was pastor of a rather large church and uh, <laughs> she knows where this is headed. And bro, I love him. He's dead now. Oh, he was a great guy. One of my good friends, Bill Elkins, he was retired. He always sat about three or four pews back right toward the middle. It was his Sunday. He was one of our deacons. It was his Sunday to pray the benediction. <laughs> Brother Bill was retired. I guess he was already in his middle to late 70s at that time. Very dignified man. He had been a, an important person in the community for so many years. A manager of a large business. We came to the end. I said, Brother Bill Elkins, would you come please and pray our benediction? He stepped out and started. Well, I said, Brother Bill, your fly is open. <laughs> it was a lie. See, I'm. But I couldn't pass the opportunity. And he, 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 I said, April fool. And I don't think, I can't remember if he was able to finish the prayer or not when he got up there, but. Uh, he laughed and was mad all at the same time. Doesn't mean that we can't have fun with each other. As long as we clarify what we're, what we're doing. But when it comes to regular characteristics of Christian living together, the body of Christ, there is, listen, there is no parliament in the world that carries the distinction that the body of Christ carries. Now we're humble. We don't arrogate claims to ourselves. We are humbly following our Lord. And we all know that we're nothing without Christ. We're pathetic and the chief of all sinners without our Lord Christ who has covered us in his righteousness, who has saved us, who came for us, who died to save us, who lives to keep us, and who's coming again for us. We can't save ourselves. We can't keep ourselves saved. We can't resurrect ourselves. We can't give ourselves a kingdom and we can't carry that kingdom into the new age. It's all Christ who does it. And we know this and we're humble. And so as disciples of Christ, we're learning more and more of Christ. But what we do in the transactions we make with one another as believers in Christ far exceeds anything in whatever might be the highest hall of government in this world system. For a teacher of scriptures To become, I used to use the term President of the United States. That's not such a high term anymore. 
To be the president of the United States would be a step down. Today, it probably would be a step down for about everybody. But the work, the transaction, the characteristics, the, the interaction of the church, the love, the salt and light, what a, what a charge given to the people of God in the world. The world cannot know truth unless the church teaches the absolute truth, which is the blessed, holy, precious word of God. The world is in darkness and needs light. But they cannot know the light unless the people of God who have the Spirit of God go forth and carry that light into a dark world. We're salt. We preserve society. The Bible teaches me that as, that as long as the restrainer, and there too, it's a, there's a, a masculine and a neuter in Thessalonians. He who restrains and that which restrains. As I understand it and as I studied, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. And I believe in the rapture of the church, pre-tribulational rapture of the church, when the church is caught away, the the restrainer is no longer restraining. The preservation power is no longer there. And that, who is, that which is carried the light by the church, the people of the Lord, the bride of Christ, when it's all gone, the world plunges into the darkest and awfulest time that it's ever known. Listen, we have a great responsibility to the world empowered by Christ to carry forth the great commission. We need each other. And one thing that strengthens us together with each other is that we are truthful with one another. We're not deceitful. We're not shady with one another. Because we are members of one another. If you hurt one of the members, you hurt yourself. Because earlier in Ephesians, Paul talks about how we are the new man. And each of us has, has some part of that body where we find ourselves. Thought number three. Be angry and yet sin not. Orgiz este. The root of that is orge. Now there are three words in the Greek that are used in the New Testament for anger. Thumos, and Thumos really should, should not be a part of a Christian's life. That's a hothead, a Thumos, a hothead. Somebody that everybody just says, oh, don't say anything to him. He's liable to be enraged and beat you up or something. There's Thumos. And the other one, the next one, is the orge that is the root of what we see here. Be angry. Now that anger is a settled, is a settled commitment that one has that will always be there and to which he will feel a great need to respond, to respond to. Now that anger is like 
if you mess with my family, something's going to happen and you're not going to like it. It's always there. That's just an orgy. That's the, uh, that is the settled state of mind that says, I will do something if certain lines are crossed. Well, that's really just obedience to what Paul writes to Timothy. And he says, it's the infidel who doesn't take care of his family. So that's, that's what he says here. He says, look, we all have this settled anger, this, this settled commitment in our hearts. But take care that in that settled commitment, you do not sin. Then there is a third anger, and it's in the Greek language, and it's used here. Thumos is not in this section. But two of those three are, and it's here. Do not let the sun set upon your anger. Paroigesismo. That means irritation, exasperation. It, it means that... Uh, Something is going to happen. And if you don't take care of it, it you're going to snap. That's what that means. It's not the thumos that just explodes all at once. It is that which seethes and gets hotter until finally you explode. Now here's, here, is, here is the apostolic command. Do not it's an imperative. Do not let the sun set upon, your, uh, set upon your irritations. Go to the Lord in prayer. If you have to confess sin, confess sin. Deal at the altar of your prayer time with the irritations and exasperations of your church life which may require at some point in time that you just go to somebody and you just say, you know what? Your feet stink. <laughs> My daddy went to uh, Jacksonville Teachers College. It wasn't Jacksonville, it was two-year college. You got a teacher's certificate. Wallace Murphy was his buddy. They were... They stayed in a dorm when the dorm was just a bunch of beds lined up like an army barracks or something. They had a professor who was a kind man, but he had horrible foot odor. It was so bad. He couldn't smell it, but it went through the leather of his shoes and nobody wanted to be around that guy. So my dad and my dad was already a preacher and Wallace Murphy was a dedicated Christian. He was a Methodist, but that's okay. And they prayed about this. A man's smelly feet. They prayed about it. Because they did not want to explode in an irritation about this man's feet. 
it affected the whole class. You know, everybody just, the guy was so kind, but they just, nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. They remained behind one day after class. Said, sir, <laughs> we want to tell you something of which you may not be aware. Your feet stink. You have such awful foot odor that if you get up and stir around and go to the chalkboard and write, it just goes all over the room. It stinks. And we wanted to, we've thought about this, we've prayed about it, and we feel like that we just needed to settle this in our hearts. <laughs> and uh, my daddy said that he burned all of his socks and his pair of shoes and went out and got him some more shoes and I don't know, maybe he started washing his feet every day, whatever. But there was a fellowship then, a bond between my dad and Wallace, who was already his friend, and, and the professor. It's kind of like this. Now, if you come to me and say, Pastor, your feet stink. Probably I'm going to take my shoes and socks off and bring it up and say, now take it. You sure it's mine? Are you sure it's mine? That's kind of a silly illustration to tell you that people can irritate you in church. Don't raise your hands, but has anybody ever irritated you in church? <laughs> that response is enough. Probably the pastor more than anybody else. Yeah, you irritate me. I had a guy tell me one time, I can't stand still when I preach and I just go back and forth. And I was at a church, had a big old stage. And I was going, he said, I can't stand that, man. He said, I feel like I'm watching a tennis match. I said, well, I'll see. And I, I couldn't help. I, I just tried. I went to him later. And I said, I can't help myself. Just close your eyes. Try not to go to sleep and listen and don't watch. How's that? The thing is, you don't carry this in your heart, this irritant, and take it with you through the day without coming before the Lord and asking Him to settle it in your heart. Why? So that you won't give an opportunity to the devil. Now, actually, the word devil, diabolo, Diabolo is a slanderer so that you won't give an opportunity to slander. Your irritation could become so great that you'd pop off something to somebody in criticism of somebody that you should have already gone to and settled the whole matter, you know? And you'd become like the devil, a slanderer. You don't want to give opportunity to the devil. So don't let the sun set upon your anger of irritation, your exasperation. Okay, thought number four. The one stealing, let him steal no more. The word here, klepton. You know what a kleptomaniac is. 
The word here for stealing means to steal secretly. I'm going to do this and I'm, and I'm going to be real uh, stealthy about it. And I'm going to be sneaky. And when I get an opportunity, I'm going to steal something. Now, they came out of a pagan life, and this was just the way pagans lived. But the Holy Spirit, through the apostle, says, no longer do your secretive stealing. It could be anything. Cheating. It could be a lot of ways that people can secretly steal things. Don't do that any longer. But if you have a need, go to work. Working what is good with his own hands. And here is the purpose that you would want to have more. You would want to have more so that you can give more. So that he may have something to the one having need. This is Christian life. We are aware, keenly aware, when there are members of the body who have a need. They shouldn't feel compelled to go beyond their brothers and sisters in Christ, to go beyond the body of Christ, to help them with their need. God always gives... To churches who try to be obedient, I can tell you this, I've observed it through the years. To those churches who try to be obedient to the principle of giving to those who are in need in the body of Christ, God always provides that church with one or two or three people who have the gift of giving. This is my fifth church, and I can think in all churches, there have been people in all churches. And my daddy always said, God don't make a bill that he don't pay. And God abundantly provides those who have that gift so that they can freely give it, and they freely give it. God provides them what they need, and they give it. This is a, an admonition to the whole church. Don't, don't take stuff anymore. Don't be secret in trying to make a way for yourself and it's wrong and it hurts others. But work. Toil. Now that word is a, is a, a, it's a harsher word in the Greek than just the word the word for working. Work harder. If you have a need to be filled, work harder. And once you become to working, get accustomed to that, and God freely provides because you're working with your own hands, now you'll have something when you find those who are in need. Now, that's the, that's the way 
We're not, we're not to be like the rich man who just kept building bigger barns and lost it all. But we're to be the conscientious Christian, the brother or sister in Christ, knowing that if God gives us so much more than what we need, then it's not right for us to do anything else other than to help those who at the point in life, at that point, don't have what they need. And that time happens to just about everybody at some point. So, thought number five. Don't let any unwholesome word go forth out of your mouth. Now, that's an interesting word in the Greek. Sapros, unwholesome, it means rotten, diseased. Don't let rotten, useless, diseased words come out of your mouth. Now, it's not, it's, it's not just a reference to cursing and swearing. It can be that. But it's broader than that. It means that you don't say something that not, doesn't need to be said. You know, in the book of James, here in this passage, and then four or five times in Proverbs, we are told that we need to hear a lot more than we speak. We need to be listeners more than, than speakers. Than we, in, in, times, in times of fellowship, we need to take care of what we say and how we say it. And if it's diseased, if it's useless, if it's rotten, if it doesn't help, then don't let it go forth out of your mouth. Don't be destructive or hypercritical with your speech to one another, talking to one another. But only which is good for edification, for building up, so that it may give grace to those hearing. If it doesn't build up the person and gives grace to their lives, then don't say it. Certainly don't say anything that's untrue. Don't even repeat something that probably is true because it probably might not be true as well. Aren't we so guilty of that on Facebook? Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to share that. <laughs> you destroy somebody and don't even know whether it's true or not. You have to be very careful. Very careful in the way you speak. If it's not going to come out in building the person up, then there's no need to say it. Otherwise, it's diseased and useless. So you ask the question, what about the guy with the smelly feet? I would think that that would build him up. He'll get, in, he'll get invited to more fellowships now than he used to, you know. They may ask him to bring the punch or something now. Number six, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God in whom you were sealed for the day of, his, of redemption. You know, back when we started this thing, 
in, in Ephesians 1 and on into Ephesians 2. We were taught that the Holy Spirit of God, as we are positioned in Christ, and we didn't have to do anything for this. We didn't have to work for it. It's something that God does. He plants the Holy Spirits in our lives, and the Holy Spirit is a, an earnest payment. That's the Greek word, a down payment, earnest payment. So, He's always with us. He's unctioning us. He's teaching us. He bears witness with us. He translates our prayers. He does. He's, he's with us all the time in a wholesome and wonderful way. Now, if you permit these other things that we've just seen in previous verses today. If they dominate some part of your life, any one of them, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. We've all had times when we were disappointed in people. And the disappointment when it was disappointment in those who were closest to us brought us grief. It's the same way with the Holy Spirit. He's ever there with us. He has sealed us to the day of redemption. That is a past tense that's not going to go away. That's, that's, he's not going to unseal us. He's not going to, take, he's not going to leave us and take his presence away from us. No. But when we are not careful to live practically as Christians, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And there, it's not in this passage, but there are things. He, he has options. <laughs> the Holy Spirit does. Number seven. Let all bitterness, that word means resentment. And rage. And anger. And clamor. Clamor, it comes from a word that means to yell. To, you ever been yelled at in anger? If you haven't, you've, you've, missed, a, you've missed a purifying moment because your heart will pound so fast that anything that's bad in your veins will just be purified. I guess, I don't know. To be yelled at in anger, this has no place in Christian life. Resentment, rage, anger, clamor. To be violent with words. Slander. To speak evil of one another. Let all of that be removed from you. So here's another, you know, this is like, well, these are, these are garments that I don't need. Along with all malice. Malice, maliciousness, vicious, vicious resentment, mean, meanness. Final thought. Now be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. This goes, this goes along with, this, this goes along with what uh, agape love is supposed to be 
forgiving each other as also God in Christ forgave you. You always see it that way, don't you? When you're commanded in the New Testament to forgive each other, it is always followed by the truth that says, because God forgave you in Christ. Suppose God held all of that against you. All of the things that are wrong with you and wrong with me, and God just held it and he never forgave us. But he forgave us in Christ. He gave to us Christ Jesus to take all of that away. And now we're mandated to forgive each other. The word to forgive, it means, uh, it means bid to go away. Just forget about it. Send it away. Don't let it, don't let the sun set on it. And tomorrow, you are a brand new Christian all over again. And the next day, and the next day, and we are to work for the unity of the body. There is a difference, but there should be a difference between Christians and the rest of the world. This is, what, this is what this whole part of Ephesians down to the end of it is saying. We're going to get to a part where how we treat, how husbands and wives treat each other. That doesn't fly in the world today. How parents and children are to consider one another. That, that's not of the world system. And he moves on from there, other ways that we should live and goes on to the end of teaching us how to carry out the spiritual battle that we're in all the time. All this is practical Christian living. These are eight. Everything after this adds to that. It adds to this. The bottom line is that we love one another. We're a family. We automatically forgive one another. We are to be unified in Christ. And all of these attributes and the ones that will follow as we study them are to be attributes that identify us and reveal that we are different from the rest of the world. We're not as the world is. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And the most powerful presentation of the precepts of Jesus Christ are found in the lives of dedicated Christians, especially in this world today. What an opportunity we have in this world today. We stand with the absolute truth, which is the word of God. There is no other truth. The world system is built on lies and untruth, that a form of that word falsehood that we saw earlier is a word that is used in the New Testament to identify idolatry. To live a life apart from Christ, that's living a lie in your life that you can save yourself, you can, you can demand heaven, you can 
live on your own terms, all these, that's just the lie. That's what it's called in the New Testament, the lie. And a form of that word falsehood is that. So we live and we study and we seek to learn more about Christ and his word. And this strengthens us and it edifies us. Eight thoughts about practical Christianity. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God and he came into this world to save sinners. If you will admit that you're a sinner and believe in Jesus and call on him to save you, God is bound by his word to save you because that's what he said in his word. You have three great needs in your life. The first need is to be saved. Maybe you're here today and God is calling you to be saved and you know that. Your second need is to be obedient and the first act of obedience in my mind is to follow the Lord in baptism because it is a great testimony to the world that the old is gone and that you have been raised to walk in newness of life. The third great need for every believer is to be joined with other believers of like faith and doctrine and like commitment to be part of a family as kingdoms of a citizen, as, as citizens of a kingdom and a kingdom that is above all other kingdoms, a king who is above all other kings. And that we live this life separate as Christians, as light in darkness, as salt in the world, as the body of Christ still used as that which restrains until we're taken out of the way. So if any of those needs or all of those needs are needs in, you find in your life and you need to be saved, you need to be baptized uh, as a believer or you need to be a part of a local Bible-believing Bible church, our deacons, some of our deacons and their wives are right across the hall as you exit. You'll see them standing at the door. And they will deal with you and pray with you and speak with you about this if that's what God has put in your heart today. Father God in heaven, thank you for the time that we've had together. We pray your blessings upon our lives as we seek to walk the path that you've called us to. Help us, Lord, in this life to take off these old garments and walk having put on the new man in this world today. We give you all of the praise and the honor and the glory for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today, okay?